0: Welcome to Business of Design. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. The Business of Design podcast offers immediate, actionable strategies and a glimpse into some of the many field-tested, proven systems you can implement to transform your business and your life. After the show, head to businessofdesign.com and get started with the BOD 15-step project management strategy and six foundational programs. Together, they deliver the systems, procedures, and strategies you need to run a successful, highly profitable design business. There's no theory here. The complete BOD business model is yours through Business of Design membership. Business of Design. There's only one. And now, your BOD Advocate-in-Chief, Kimberly Seldon.
1: Well, hello, you fabulous interior design professional. We are so glad you're here. And what's more important, You. You, my friend, are going to be so glad you're here because you're going to meet an amazing guest today who's going to talk about something so important, and that's you and how you are going to ride the natural cycles of feast and famine. You know what that's like, right? We had this feast period in my office, and I bet a lot of you did too, where COVID was just like, oh my gosh, it was like a money cannon or a license to print money. It was good times and i wanted to ride that trade as long as possible i tell you but what's happened since is i'm finding my clients are being a little bit more circumspect uh, circumspect rather about what they're spending they're just thinking a little bit more about whether or not they need to go for the wolf range or could they downgrade to something else without it impacting how much they're going to enjoy the space? Where during COVID, I found they were just like, money is no object, do the whole house, we don't care, we just want it done. So feast and famine is a natural cycle. It happens annually uh, in most of our businesses, right? Like in the middle of summer, uh, clients are out at a cottage or just enjoying life, kids are away at camp, they're not thinking about that big renovation all the time or at Christmas time during the holidays, I find the same thing. But you know, September, October, oh my gosh, the phone is busy, busy, busy. So those are annual cycles of feast and famine. But then there are those bigger cycles of feast and famine where there was like a three year, like let's do it all COVID kind of cycle. And now we're not in any kind of a famine cycle at all. Although people are thinking about that R word recession, it hasn't happened. The economy is strong and people are feeling good, but you can just Feel that there's a little bit of a pulling back. And that's okay as long as we are prepared to ride out the storm. And even better, if we can anticipate it. How are you going to do that? Well, our guest today, her name is Danielle Hendon. She says, in part, you're going to do that by not sticking your head in the sand, but by knowing your numbers. And we all know that's true. But she's going to get into some of the specifics of how you can know your numbers and what they're going to tell you. She is the founder of Four. Corners CFO, which is a firm that offers financial advisory services to business owners on a scale that fits their company and their budget. She's got a decade of experience in corporate finance and accounting. Her passion is people. And rather than bringing uh, more savvy to help corporations make even bigger profits. She wants to bring it to smaller businesses. And when I say smaller, I don't mean smaller in terms of revenue or profit. I mean, smaller in terms of number of employees. So if you have five or fewer employees, you're running a small sized business, but even a small sized business can be extremely, extremely profitable. And that's where I want your headspace to be during this conversation. Uh, More information about Danielle can be found at businessofdesign.com. If you're not in the habit of going to businessofdesign.com and checking out the show notes, you really should. If you're not a member, oh my gosh, what are you waiting for? Come on, we can change your life. I know we can. All of the information you hear tidbits of, little snippets of on the podcast needs to be sewn together and interwoven into one big process for running projects. And that's what the BOD 15 will do for you. Beyond that, there are all kinds of courses available that will help you run your business, not just run projects, but run your business. In this episode, we're going to talk about managing fluctuating client cycles of feast and famine. And I'm I want you to think about this too. Don't think about how your business feels right now today. It's all about those financial numbers. There's just no getting away from it. You are definitely in the right place. We are so glad you're here. Let's check in with Cheryl Horn for some announcements.
2: Well, you've got a busy couple of weeks coming up. Kimberly will be speaking at two different design events. Uh, Coming up on Thursday, February 29th, Kimberly will be at Cabus at 1 p.m. on the next stage in the South Hall. Uh, She'll be part of a panel called Lighten Up the Humorous Side of Design. Again, that's happening at Cabus on February 29th. And then the following week, you will be at the Pacific Design Center and they are hosting the Empowered Design Summit, which is a celebration that they are starting on International Women's Day. They are gonna be doing a series of different interviews and Kimberly is excited to be one of them. This is in partnership with Women in Luxury Design as well as California Homes Magazine. I think they're expecting a great turnout. So hopefully if you are in that area, you can join Kimberly again. That's going to be on March 8th at the Pacific Design Center. Details for both of these events are at businessofdesign.com in the events section. And make sure you uh, click through to both of those events for complete details. Thanks so much.
1: Danielle. Feast or famine? Why is it always that way for creative professionals? Are businesses booming or we're looking down the client pipeline and it's a little slow? What, what's that about?
3: So I want to normalize a little bit. It's not just creative professionals. It's anybody that does project work and it is 1000% normal. You are not a unicorn as much as I love you. It is, it's normal. <laughs> Feast or famine is going to happen to everybody that does project work because you're either doing all the things and the, you've got all these projects and it's always cyclical or you're in a time where you, the projects aren't, let's take, I'm trying to think of a good way to put this. For interior designers, when you guys have your seasonal cycles and it is seasonal, it's cyclical where you're going to have a whole bunch of people coming in because they're like, oh my gosh, spring cleaning, my house is a mess. I finally got it cleaned. Somebody please come make this look pretty for me. Mm-hmm. And then you'll get that. You'll get those calls. You'll get the projects. But then people are like, ho-hum, it's the fall. It's all dreary. I don't want to do anything in the winter. What are we going to do for January and February? And everybody's just sitting in the house. Yeah, And... The nature of that, you can't change that. We can't change the way anybody thinks. But because your projects are coming in cyclically, so is your cash. Mm -hmm. And what we can do is remove ourselves from the feast or famine cycle by controlling our cash flow better.
1: Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about then, how to control our cash flow. I will say in my own business, and I think this will be true for a lot of listeners, my projects tend to last a year or more. So it does slow up late summer. Everybody's at the cottage and they're not thinking about you know, the the holidays ahead and getting their house looking perfect. And the phone is very quiet. Absolutely, for <laughs> sure. But- The feast and famine that's more troubling to me is when, for example, during COVID, we were all slammed as busy as we could possibly be. That's feast, feast, feast. It's a license to print money, but it's also a very stressful time. It's easy to overcommit. And so it's not that feast is perfect, but I feel like it beats famine. And we're hearing from a lot of design professionals that even though it's currently, there's no recession right now, no recession, not happening, not a thing. But yep. people are thinking that, oh, it's going to happen. And that's all it takes for our clients to say, let's wait on the new kitchen. So our feast and famine cycles tend to be year over year versus spring versus summer. Does that make sense?
3: Yep. No, that totally makes sense. And part of balancing that is going to have to do with how you collect your cash and how you bill Along with, <clears throat> sorry, I'm getting over a little bit of a cough, along with how you, how you recognize that that's happening. So I'm going to take a really big step back and say, I know so many small business owners like to put our head in the sand and we just look at the bank account. We don't look at the financial statements. We, we kind of flow by what's in the money and in the bank account. And the less you know, you get to plead ignorant and say, oh, it's all going great. We've got money. Yeah. Until you don't, right? So the very first thing for you to know, you need to know, are you in feast or famine? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can do that by how things feel. But depending on how well you know your profit margins, you also have to know... What your financials are telling you. So my my number one step to solving feast or famine is is to actually look at your financial statements, talk to your bookkeeper, make sure you understand what they're telling you.
1: Mm-hmm. Look for the trends, look for the patterns, look for the you know because it's possible that your income always drops at a particular time in the you know December. It's always lower in December. December because the holidays et cetera disrupt everything, um, and it
3: may not even be income; it may be profit, and it might be a feast or famine cycle within your projects. When are you ordering? If you're ordering all of the things, when does that happen? Versus when you're getting paid for it, and those timing delays can create kind of a feast or famine on their own within a single project.
1: That's so true because we tend we collect quite heavily up front. We don't we're not a bank for our clients, and it's possible that a project is going on a year and a half and I've collected everything except for ongoing design fees. And that is a conversation I have to have every year with my accountant. Which of these clients uh, is going to owe you money coming up and which of them have given you all their money because that affects how we're going to, you know, submit our taxes or whatever.
3: Yeah, and how you calculate that for year end. But it also knowing where you're at with all of your clients is going to affect... feast or famine within that project. If you're collecting all of the money up front and then you've still got things that need to be done and implemented and ordered and supply chain has been a huge issue in the past and if people start screaming recessions and all the things that are going on right now, it it tends to get a little tighter again. Mm -hmm. So are you getting all of those things and have you already assumed all of the costs? Otherwise, you had this feast when the money came in and now you're going to feel a little bit of famine as you're making payments and spending towards the things that need to come out. So knowing kind of where you are in your projects, what are your financials telling you? Is this normal for your season? And then if it's not normal and you do feel like you're in a famine, and I know a lot of service providers even, and what we would deem more of those kind of luxury things are feeling the pressure this year with, it, I'm I'm tired of saying recession, but everyone's still thinking, what if? Even though I've heard from varying sources that, you know, maybe, maybe it's not going to happen at all. And it definitely isn't going to happen as bad as they thought it would this time last year.
1: No, yeah. But
3: people are still scared. And when people are scared, they don't want to spend money and they're going to pull back.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so and the, what, the truth is, so it's not happening now. It's, it's absolutely not happening right now, but it, it's going to happen at some point. It always does, right? It's not like we're going to avoid this forever. We've, we've seen these cycles come and go. So part of the conversation is just how can you prepare yourself financially for whatever lies ahead? So feast or famine, you feeling good, you're feeling okay, you're going to survive this no matter what.
3: And that's knowing your numbers. It's knowing what they look like right now. It's not listening to everything else going on in the world because the world is going to keep going on no matter what happens. But are your numbers coming in high? Are your numbers coming in low? And to know if they're high or low, you have to know what you expect them to be. So with all of my clients, I work through various steps. And cash flow is always the one we want to talk about first. But it's honestly the thing we have to get to last. You always need to go through understanding your numbers first. You need to know what the plan is. Once you understand your numbers, make a plan for them. And then using that plan, we can then predict what will cash flow look like by timing of how things happen in your business. So to put that in a little bit more detail... The very first thing that I do with clients is look at a balance sheet, and that is probably the least looked at financial statement for business owners. Everybody knows their revenue, and if you're really good, you know your P&L. Nobody's looking at the balance sheet, but it is the key to knowing that everything's on your P&L. If you bookkeeper-
1: tell, I'm going to ask you to back up and just tell us what a balance sheet is.
3: Yep. So in your QuickBooks, I'm going to go with QuickBooks because that's what 90% of people use. You have a balance sheet report. And you have a PL report. And like I said, most of my clients know how to go look at their PL and they're used to looking at their PL, but your balance sheet actually represents what your business is worth. It gives you all of the things you own and all of the things you owe at your at a business level. So if you own inventory, if you've got product that you've ordered for a customer and you haven't yet put it in the home, you haven't put it into place. It's something you own as a business owner, but it's also something you owe to your clients. So they kind of offset each other a little Mm -hmm. bit. Your bank account is something you own. It is cash on the books in your balance sheet. But you also have what we call equity, which is the owner's contributions and distributions from the business and to the business all of that's gonna show on your balance sheet. And because of the nature of how accounting works, we call it double entry accounting, if I'm getting technical, you are always going to have two entries in your books when something happens. So if you get paid by a customer, you're gonna see it hit cash, and you're gonna see it hit revenue. And very often those two entries are hitting on the balance sheet and the Mm P&L. So when we take a look at someone's books, the very first thing you wanna do is make sure your balance sheet reconciles. Does your, think of it like, I'm gonna go date myself a little bit. Think of it like doing your checkbook back in the day is what's in the bank account, what I thought would be there based on the checks I wrote is what's in your bank account, what should be there based on the bank statement and the entries you have in QuickBooks, do they match? They're never going to match exactly, but we should know what doesn't match. And it's usually timing differences between the end of the month and when things hit. And is
1: there any reason I can't just rely on my bookkeeper, my accounting person to on a, you know, to make sure that they're verifying that those things are accurate?
3: You can. And m- most bookkeepers, any good bookkeeper is going to be doing this. They should be verifying they're accurate. I have an audit background. As a CPA, I went to school, did audit for a while. The biggest risk of relying entirely on somebody else for your financials is you've just given them the keys to the kingdom and small businesses are at risk for fraud and theft at a much higher level than anybody else because they're not looking.
1: It's such a good point. You're absolutely right. Okay, so so are you saying that there's going to be a listener who's like, "Ugh, this is one of those eat your vegetable episodes. I hate talking about money. I don't want to look at any numbers." Are you saying to that person the very first set of numbers I want you to go comfortable is is the comfortable with is your balance sheet?
3: I want you to make sure that your balance sheet is reconciled.
1: Okay. And
3: so when you run your balance sheet. You should know what's on it. And you should be able to see in QuickBooks that your bookkeeper's reconciling them and that, that it makes sense. So using cash, because cash is king and that's where most of this activity is going to happen, making sure that that looks like it. Even if you don't look at the reconciliations, you don't want to dive down the QuickBooks hole and figure out how to use it. I get it. Is that number close to what's in your bank account? Because if it's not, you should be asking some questions and your, book she- your bookkeeper should be able to answer them.
1: Okay. Okay. So that's it. You're going you're gonna to make sure that the number that's showing on your balance sheet looks similar to the number that's showing up in your bank account.
3: On the same day. Make sure you're looking at the same day because (laughs) if you're bookkeepers, bookkeepers are always going to run a little bit behind because they got to get everything categorized. So most bookkeepers have closed July by this point. So your bank statement for July should look like your cash on your balance sheet for the end of July.
1: Okay. Oh, okay. Very good. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you said there were a few things before we even get to cash flow, and one of them was the balance sheet. I want to make sure we get to the other two. (laughs)
3: So the next two things you're going to look at are your revenue and expense and make sure you understand how money comes in and how money goes out. Because if you don't understand what's coming in and going out, then we definitely can't start making a plan for it. So when it comes to revenue, I highly recommend knowing your different products and services and especially for those of you that can communicate this to your bookkeepers, differentiating them on your your P&L, have them as different lines so you know what's... when and what it's related to.
1: So I have my design fees on a separate line from the procurement. I've got furniture procurement and that's on a separate line from the labor purchases I make, the labor I procure on behalf of my clients, et cetera, et cetera.
3: Yep. Because then you can identify what we call profit margin. So if you've got your procurement coming in as revenue, because they're paying you, I am I would hope, everyone's got a markup on that a little bit. So you've got your revenue, and then you've got your procurement cost of what went out, and the two of them should be right next to each other, revenue and cost of goods sold. And you can say, how much did I make? How much am I making? And what is the markup you thought or were intending to charge your clients? And those percentages should come in pretty close. Mm-hmm. Similarly, if you're doing design fees hourly, then you should be able to see those design fees coming into your revenue. And whoever you're paying, whether it's yourself or someone else, I always recommend labor gets put up in that cost of goods sold too because it's the biggest part of most of our businesses. How much are you paying and are you getting the percentage that you thought you would on those design fees? And especially for people that are doing flat fees. If you are doing a flat fee process, you need to know how much time that flat fee project is going to take and you need to be comparing it to how much time it's actually taking.
1: Oh my gosh. Ding, 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 ding. I, I feel like that will be heard, but not acted on by oh, so many people. There are so many people resistant to the idea of tracking the resource of time. And I just don't see how you run a profitable business without knowing how long something took you to, to do.
3: I get it. As a CPA that went through a CPA firm, had to track to the 10th of it, like, I get it. It is, it can be very frustrating, but at least by the hour, you really need to know how much time something takes. If you don't, you could be charging, I don't know, a $10,000 flat fee for something and end up spending eight thousand of it because you had no idea how much time it was going to take. Oh my god! You
1: could spend fifteen thousand of it and have no idea. And
3: then you end up negative.
1: Yeah, right.
3: And right. none of us want to be negative.
1: No, we don't want to <laughs> be negative.
3: All right, so
1: okay, so so reven- really know the revenue. Revenue. I find a, a lot of interior design professionals are really comfortable with revenue. They're like, and they will frequently say things like, "I made a million dollars this year," and I'll say, "Oh." Was that your take-home pay or was that your profit in your company? Or, oh, no, 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 that was my income. Okay, let's have a conversation about what you really made this year because it ain't a yes, million dollars. and when
3: I say revenue, we mean after cost of goods sold. It's what we call net revenue. We want to know what net revenue looks like because it costs money to make money for every single business owner. So how much is that net revenue? Because then the next step is let's look at everything underneath that. Let's look at all those G&A expenses that end up hitting your P&L.
1: Wait, what's G&A?
3: Okay, sorry. General and administrative. So oh, okay. all the things that keep the business running, okay. but they don't generate revenue. Right. So oh. if
1: go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs>
3: If you have rent, if you have a building and you're renting it, you're going to have that in in G&A expenses. I don't know a single business owner that can function without a cell phone and internet. So those are going to be sitting down there. But what I do when I work with clients, we take those expenses... First of all, you gotta figure out which ones are happening month over month and become part of your recurring process. That's gonna help you build the plan, the budget. But then also, we break it into three different categories. You have what I call the required expenses, the cell phone, the internet, the the things that have to be done to keep the lights on in the business. Then you have what I call personal perks, the things that your tax CPA told you you could run through the business, but they do not add value to the business, they add value to the business owner. Okay, give us some
1: examples of those because I'm I'm excited about this (laughs) category. I want to make sure I haven't missed anything.
3: Okay, so some of my favorites, and please make sure you talk to your CPA or or your EA because everybody's tax situation is different. Everybody's tolerance for risk and defensibility is different. But things like having your kids on payroll Mm -hmm. and not having to pay the taxes for the kids because they're below threshold.
1: Yeah, income splitting Um, and, yeah.
3: Or... Another one that I have seen a lot of people do, and different CPAs have different thresholds for this one, is purchasing vehicles through the through the business. Mm-hmm. You'll see that one a lot. Um, if you are an S-Corp, one of my favorites is called an accountability plan. So when you switch from sole proprietor to S-Corp, meaning you put yourself on payroll instead of just through profit distributions that go on your personal tax return, when you make that switch you lose the home office deductions that you would get on your personal tax return. But you can do what they call an accountability plan where the business pays a portion of some of those home office expenses based on square footage, usage, things like that. So you're still able to run the cost of your home office through the business.
1: Okay, interesting. All right, I totally took you down a completely different path because you had (laughs) three and I just had to jump on that second one.
3: Those are some of my favorites. And I love little tax quirks. I know just enough about the tax side. I don't do taxes, but I know just enough to make sure we ask the CPA the questions, and then we figure out where we land.
1: This is one of those moments where I think I cannot imagine trying to do this without professional financial help. Right? Oh, 100%. Like just, yeah.
3: I don't even do my own taxes because having that external point of view and somebody else to say, hey, did you remember this? I'm like, oh, nope, nope, I didn't remember that. Can we do that?
1: (laughs) I have to say, my end of year meeting with my accountant is one of my favorite meetings of the year. I just adore him. He's always got great ideas. And, you know, anyway, I love the perks that you had. And I think I'm doing all of those. So that's good.
3: Yay. Okay, so the personal perks, the things that your tax accountant, tax CPA tells you to run through the business, they add value to you, but not the business. And when we sit down and we benchmark the business, I usually put those in owner's comp because really we're taking something that you would otherwise have paid for and putting it through the business. Then the final category is... Everything else, if it's not required, it's not a personal perk, it needs to be an investment in your business. It is an investment in the business. The question becomes, is it a good investment? What is that return on investment? All of those costs should be giving you back something in time or money. And if they're not, we either need to set a deadline for marketing goals and say, hey, if this isn't working by this date, then we've got to pivot. Or we need to get creative about how to do things a different way.
1: Mm -hmm. So you're talking about marketing campaigns and ads or what other kinds of things would fall under that category?
3: So... We all have that subscription you signed up for with a coaching something and forgot that you put it on there and you're not actually using it. Those are some of my favorites to question.
1: Oh, you better not be questioning your business of design membership. <laughs> no, you better be Unbelievably affordable it. and you better be using it. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely, Definitely though. Right? Like I have that. like three different apps where I'm learning Spanish. Okay. Silly. Get rid of two of them. Yeah.
3: Yep. Or I have some of my professional service businesses like attorneys or other accountants. We have what we call continuing education units. You have to maintain a certain level of continuing education units in order to keep your certification. I had a client where we were going through that and she had a whole bunch of, she was an attorney, she had a bunch of CLE that we were looking at. And I was like, I get it. You went to the conference, you got the education units. And she felt like those education units were required, which they are. But going to the conference wasn't. And I said, I know that I can go online and get like unlimited education units for 250, 300 bucks if I really wanted to. Mm
0: -hmm. Can
3: you do the same thing? And she said, yeah, yeah, I could. I said, okay, so that conference that was like 1,000 or 1,500 or whatever dollars you could have gotten those education units for two or three hundred, right? Right. Okay, yeah. So then what would so the value, the extra money you paid, what was the value added from that conference and how did we implement it and what did we learn and why was it worth
1: it? Mm-hmm. But and if that really conference is sure. if that conference is in Ibiza, I think you should do it forget it.
3: I think mean, that it's partly I have multiple coaches on my team. I love business coaching, so I don't want to knock that at all, but I want to make sure when you're yeah. investing in yourself that you're implementing it and you're investing in a way that is adding to your business.
1: Right. Yeah, that it totally makes sense to me. Okay, so those are the the those three examples are wait, what did you say at the very beginning before we you said there were three. What was the Bucket, Required,
3: the, personal perks, and everything else is investments. And rec- so, investments so these are your expenses,
1: say, well, your over overhead yep. expenses. Okay, so this these are the categories that you separate overhead expenses in into. Okay,
3: yep. And make sure it's making it's worth your money. I know so many people. The other stuff, marketing's huge. How much are you spending on social media? How much are we spending on? The other side of it is people time, because if it's not billable time, it's sitting in that. GNA, that general administrative section, how much are you spending for other people to help you do things administratively in your firm? Again, totally get it. I spend plenty of money to help people administratively in my firm, and I'm sure you do as well. Make sure that that time is productive and doing things that are adding value to your firm. hmm And that you're keeping track of how, when, as you grow as a business, your profitability ends up being in that productivity. So how productive are your people in their billables, but also how productive are your people in administrative? I have a lot of clients that when you start getting into this phase of having to hire managers, essentially having to hire people to help oversee and not just to do the doing, it feels like you're wasting money. Because they're not billable, they're not doing, they're not always in the weeds making you more money. But their job is to make the people that are billable more productive, effective, and make more money. Mm -hmm. So really keeping track of that side of GNA can also be a big thing. To me,
1: that's a category where you can really blow your ability to earn a high profit or earn a great salary if you're just not paying attention to all of that, that people category that will Mm -hmm. destroy your business.
3: 100%. Even on the billable side, if you're not Mm -hmm. keeping up with productivity, and again, to those people that do flat fees, I love them myself, and they can be super profitable if done right. But if done wrong, and you're not keeping track of productivity, they could blow your whole budget.
1: There's just absolutely no way to run your business without going backwards and analyzing what's working and what isn't. And that should be like a a monthly, at least a monthly kind of a habit.
3: Yes. Which takes me to the next step. So once you know the revenue and expenses, the fourth step is building that budget. Because if you can set a plan, an expectation for your money, which is your budget, I know not everybody loves the name budget, but you're setting a plan for your money. Then every month we can go back and our fifth step with clients is look at the actuals against it. We build that budget and we say, hey, revenue came in. Like, really, what, what did we do with design fees? Like, man, that's amazing. Did somebody, like, just go kick butt, whatever it is? Did we get a new client? Did we, what happened? And how do we make that happen again? But then if those expenses start coming in high, or if your people costs are coming in high, then you have the chance to say, hey, wait a minute, we said this flat fee was going to get paid out over the next year. We were estimating this many hours per month. Why'd they come in 10 times higher? And then you get to go, oh, wait a minute. I'm going to
1: venture a guess and say 98.9% of people listening right now do not have a budget for the year ahead based on what we've learned at Business of Design. It's something we're actually teaching our BOD boss level members about the importance of that budget and how that can show you that there's something happening that you need to put your attention on really quickly before it gets out of hand. You don't have to wait six months, nine months, you know, 16 months until you're in trouble. You can address what's happening in the moment.
3: And that's where... Again, everyone that I talk to wants cash flow, but for me, cash flow relies on budget and budget relies on good numbers. So let's make sure we understand the numbers so that your budget's as accurate as we can possibly get it because then when it is and your actuals come in, I've had a client, we were, I think it was $2,000 off on something and I was like, hey, something hit here and I didn't think it was going to, did you mean for it to? And it ended up being fraud. And we had to go call the bank and say, hey, the credit card got... Like, those are the kinds of things that come up if you're actually comparing and have a really detailed budget you can compare to and say, I don't know what this was, but it was not in our budget. Whereas your bookkeeper is often gonna see that and go, they'll Google it or something and figure out what the cost was and they'll put it where they think it's supposed to go. But they don't know what the budget is to compare to unless you give them one.
1: hmm wow, okay. So being financially savvy can be intimidating, but the fact of the matter is a lot of people have gone before you and figured out how to do it. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. It, you know, I found that the learning was scary initially, but I got better at it really quickly. It was much easier to get financially savvy in my business, for example, than it was to, to install and learn how to use the software that helps us manage projects. So if that gives you some comparison, I hope that that's helpful. <laughs>
3: And it's a rip the band aid off moment. Like mm. it feels really scary. And don't get me wrong, there's all kinds of words I could throw out here that would just fly over heads. But finding an accountant that can speak plain English, a bookkeeper that'll help speak plain English and can just put it in terms that make sense to you. And then you get the power to manipulate your P&L and your accounts and the way that those reports come out so they make sense to you without you having to dig. Let's add these accounts in these places so that as soon as I see the report, I know what my margins are. Or let's group this in this way. So as soon as I see it, I know how much the total cost was.
1: That's when I realized I was starting to get the hang of things when I started directing how I wanted things categorized. Just, I said, I don't care how you want it. This is, it works for my brain to be able to see it in this way. So I want you to adapt to what I need. And, and I yes. was lucky my bookkeeper was willing to work with me. Really good conversation. I know it's scary for a lot of people, but just what's a very first step? Everybody should take right now? What's something you should commit to and do immediately if this is not your sweet spot?
3: Ask your bookkeeper to explain your financial statements to you. Mm -hmm. And make sure you understand what you're looking at.
1: Yeah. And if there's resistance there or you're feeling like they're not giving you that information in a way that you really can understand, I would think about a new bookkeeper. I really would. I think that that is one of the most valuable relationships you can have as a small business owner. And by small, I only mean number of employees because I think you can make millions of dollars and and be a relatively small shop. So I just mean the number of people that you're working with. Uh, Danielle, really great conversation. We love to end every episode with design intervention. Just a great piece of advice you want to leave everybody with.
3: Okay, I'm going to layer this on top because I know you love talking about the 1%. I am a huge Profit First fan. And if you are not putting 1% of your profit in a separate account out of sight, out of mind to make sure that you are paying yourself and continuing a business that you love that is not going to burn you out, then that is my number one tip.
1: One percent. We could do one percent, right? It's not that scary. One one little percent.
3: It's creating the habits and the habits are what's going to get you where you want to go.
1: Oh, so good. Will you come back and talk to us about 1%, the value of 1%? Because it's not just about putting aside that 1% so you can pay yourself, but increasing your profit margin by 1%, what that does to your bottom line. Oh my gosh, that'd be such a good conversation.
3: To your brain, it's, I know we, I know we have to end, but the Increasing that 1% and building that habit also trains your brain to go figure out how to solve the problems that you would have just thrown that 1% at instead.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so good. Okay. We're going to more Danielle coming up for sure. (laughs)
3: Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening and supporting the BOD mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. If you're ready to implement an exact business model for running a streamlined, profitable business, field tested by thousands of design professionals around the world, head to businessofdesign.com and get started today. It's time to dramatically improve your business and transform your life.